everybody. Welcome to a special end of the year episode of America This Week from the Harris Poll. And as always, I'm with Libby Rodney. Libby, how are you? Hey, John. I'm great. How you doing? <laughs> Just... Happy holidays, Susan. <laughs> Happy holidays to you and yours and uh, frantically wrapping presents while I'm doing Zoom calls and, and everything. I'm sure you're doing the same. That's exactly what Santa would do. So yes, I'm doing the same thing. <laughs> well, hey, we've got some great stuff to talk about in our, our last episode of the year. This is some really interesting new data that you've just uh, released on the American dream of homeownership. Yeah, so we'll discuss if the American dream of homeownership is diminishing. Great. The other thing we're going to talk about is uh, the eternal question, how many Americans are regretting their tattoos? And then we'll examine the top food top trends of the year and what could be next for 2023. All right. Well, that sounds great. Well, let's get into it. Libby, as always, we start with the weekly heat, which is the week's most important numbers from the Harris Poll. And the first number of the week is 87. We have 87% of Americans are actually still concerned about the economy and inflation. The only good news in that is that it's flat. It hasn't gone up or down, at least hasn't gone up. 83 is our second number, Libby, which is that 83% are concerned about a potential U.S. recession. This has gone up one point from last week. Again, significantly high numbers of Americans continue to be concerned. However, 74 is our last number. 74% or three quarters of Americans are concerned about affording their living expenses. That is also up three points from last week. The only good news in these numbers is that we are starting to see some other positive movements in and around more optimism. We saw in our latest Harvard-Harris poll that came out this past Friday, a three-point drop on concern about the U.S. economy. But uh, enough about the bad economic numbers, Libby. Why don't we get in and talk about home ownership and, and are we seeing anything more positive there? Yeah, I mean, we have a story that we did with Fortune about the diminishing American dream of home ownership. So not sure mm. if it's exactly po positive news. I mean, I think what you're seeing with these low interest rates and like there's kind of a trifecta happening of low interest rates plus supply chain issues, plus just people not actually leaving their homes in the ways in previous generations would. So you're seeing a really tight housing market. And what we saw in our data with Fortune is that about 61% of Americans feel priced out of the current real estate market. And nearly half are saying their region has become so unaffordable that it's barely livable. And what's hmm. interesting about this is that it's especially true with millennials who are kind of at that prime stage of your earning and, and buying years, especially home buying years. Almost seven in 10 millennials feel priced out of the current real estate market. So that's about 10 points more than, than average Americans. And they feel that the American dream of a home, owning a home is dead, which is not a great mm -hmm. place to be with over half. And almost six in 10 say that the area has become so unaffordable that it's barely livable. And so in previous years, we would talk a lot about the, the urban millennials, the millennials who were living in urban places and wanted to live that big, big city dream, even as they had children, even as a, you know they changed careers. And now we're seeing this kind of real tightening and constriction around where millennials and people are looking towards in the future. So when we ask people, are they planning on to move, we found that Four in 10 Americans want to move to a new home in the next three years. And of those who plan to move, 77% 
say that working remotely encourages them to broaden their living options. And John, they're, they're, where they're planning to broaden their living options is actually away from the big cities. And they're looking hmm. towards, majorities of Americans are looking towards urban and rural areas instead. So I think that it's a real shift in perception of, you know, 10 years ago, we were talking about mega cities. And now- right. People, because of, you know, the ability to work in different places and find success out of the city, plus the cost of living in a city and the cost of housing in a city have gone up so enormously high that people are like, okay, well, I'm going to reimagine my life outside of that framework and into suburban areas or into rural areas. Libby, that's an incredible difference in terms of sort of major societal shifts and clearly I think it's interesting to look at the millennials because when you do, they're kind of the bellwether of the nation right now, right? They're, as you said, they're in their peak earning years. They're also the families that really need need the, the space. And so their movements are in and around where they're going for real estate. My question for you is, do you feel that this is a, a function of, of just simple economics or is this sort of something deeper? Is this is there an impact on COVID and all the other crises we've been facing? Like, what's driving yeah. this? Yeah, no, I think that's a great question. I mean, I think what you'd see in the 2008 recession was that that was an economic slowdown recession. That was a that was a point where we were impacted by financial security issues. So it's like, okay, maybe you wouldn't actually want to be in a house, right? Maybe you'd want to be renting and a little bit more li- liquid. But the pandemic, the war, climate disaster, it has actually really impacted people's perceptions of safety at really a a psychological level where people want to nest and ground themselves in a much different way than ever before. And even globally, when we go out and talk to people with research, the desire to own a home, to be in a secure environment is, is hitting people at this deep psychological factor where it's not just to build wealth in the future. It's to actually feel like a sense of security and a sense of a grounding that they can protect themselves and their family for whatever next disaster kind of comes down the pipeline. So it's it's really interesting thing that we're watching. I look forward to, to hearing more about this as we as we move forward into into next year, but clearly it's concerning with 40-year high inflation rates and all these other stack crises we've been seeing in our Harris data all year. But that's a that's a fundamental societal shift. Okay, well let's take it down a notch, Libby. Let's have some fun. Let's talk <laughs> talk about our our palate cleanser, uh, which is our light, refreshing sort of number of the week. And Libby, the the question that we're asking Americans is. Do you regret that tattoo? Libby, you know tattoos have obviously surged in popularity uh, over the past couple of decades, and there is a lot of ink flowing on the skins of Americans. So we decided in a new survey with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution to kind of go out and ask Americans about their tattoos, and I think we found a couple of interesting things. So first of all, just by the facts, nearly four in 10 U.S. adults have had at least one permanent tattoo, and even more, roughly half, 45%, actually told us that they're somewhat, or at least somewhat likely to get another tattoo in the future. But not every tattoo was a good decision. We also found that close to a fifth, nearly 19% of Americans have had or are in the process of having a tattoo removed. And over a quarter of those Libby at 27% are likely to have a tattoo removed in the future. 
So, you know, I thought that was real interesting. Also, <laughs> the fact that when you bury these mistakes, you're actually burying them under more ink. And this is really interesting. Among those who have or are likely to get a, a permanent tattoo, 71% said they would instead get a tattoo they disliked covered over rather than going through the removal process. So basically sort of paving over those mistakes. So Livy, what do you what do you take away from the, the tattoo regrets? The, it's funny because the tat every time we do tattoo research, by the way, it just gets out into the internet because people find this so fascinating <laughs> when they're trying to figure out should they get a tattoo or not. And there's like a you know, this isn't proven, but I've heard very much when you start to get one tattoo, you it's like it's you just want to collect them and you start to get more and more. And I think if you start looking at people, you can kind of see that just in, in the basis. But actually, John, I think what, there's a kind of new fascinating business out there that's called ephemeral tattoos. And there's actually a couple of companies that do this. And they're really interesting because they last for nine to 15 months. And so, you know, for all those people who kind of want to experience a tattoo or thinking about getting a tattoo this might actually be a really good option for them. I love the positioning of this company. It says, express who you are today, not forever. <laughs> and it's that. like, you know, made, uh, made to fade tattooed. And so, you know, like, I think, I think there might be more options in the future. I could imagine like going into these like 3D printing shops where you could, you know, get your ephemeral tattoo for a year and then walk away with something really beautiful design, but knowing that it's going to fade over time. I think that, I think the challenge for a lot of people when they get their tattoos is you pay a lot for them. So you want them to last, but then you don't really think about your yourself 10 years from now and and how that might align with your version of yourself so i don't know what a great that, insight yeah what else you know the other thing that they could do john is like take a picture of you today transpose it for 10 years from now and be like do you think your future self would really want you getting the tattoo that you're getting today and then if you say yes then maybe you've made a really educated decision you know <laughs> oh my gosh, I love that story. Well, that's a great startup. Ephemeral tattoos. What a great yeah. cultural insight. And I look forward to them disrupting the nose ring business in 2023. <laughs> well, let's finish the year off with uh, our last story from Food Talk 2022. This is a new Instacart Harris Pulse survey that's basically a year end review of, of food trends on TikTok. So, can we start, Libby, just with the basics? So for people that don't know what hashtag food talk or, or food TikTok is, can you kind of take us through it? Yeah, sure. So, you know, TikTok is a social media platform with all the, the videos and everything, and it, it's very immersive. And so food has been a very immersive trend to learn about how to cook, what to cook, et cetera, on TikTok. I think the difference between, so if you're on Instagram or YouTube, YouTube usually gives you the whole recipe in like five to 10 minutes. Instagram usually shows you the perfected version of that food and then gives you the recipe below it. But TikTok, what's so special about it is it cuts it up and makes it really fast. So you can kind of see what a recipe looks from end to finish in about a minute, a minute and a half. And it just makes it really enticing to learn. And then because it's personalized with an algorithm, you get exactly the kind of food recipes you'd probably want to be making. So it's just, it's very satisfying to watch food talk videos on TikTok. And with the Instacart survey with Harris Poll, we found that this is a prominent behavior that a lot of Americans are enjoying. 83% of Americans 
already view food and recipe content on social media platforms like TikTok and Instagram and YouTube. And 61% are viewing it weekly or more often. So this is just like immersive concept that this is how we are learning to cook and start recipes. But then when we were looking at what's popular this year, I don't think this is that surprising. There's some kind of interesting things here. Air fryer recipes continue to be up. I think every time Amazon sells an air fryer, you get more TikTok. <laughs> and Angel gets his wings. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You get more TikTok recipes. An interesting thing is, I don't know if you've heard of butterboards, John, but that became a big thing on TikTok this year. And butterboards is like a charcuterie board, but with just butter. And it sounds gross, but when you when you look <laughs> at it, it's really pretty. They like spread out butter. They put all these like beautiful salts and f- dried flowers and little pieces of vegetables around it. And it does look like something as a communal table you'd go and hmm. dip your bread into, which is kind of nice. There's also this lemon pasta that Emily and Mark Keto had with just four ingredients, pasta, Parmesan, butter, and lemon. And that garnered like 25 million views. And then there's Biscoff Tiramisu, which is just like a (laughs) different way of doing tiramisu. So I think I like what's interesting about this like generation of young people kind of making these food talks is that they're also now rethinking of how to build their personal brand. Like, do they have to become someone's amateur chef in a restaurant or work their way up? Or is there another way to break through through TikTok and like use the way that they understand and build educational content to then go, you know, really direct to the masses, direct to consumer and create a brand following to then create their own restaurant. And there's been a couple examples of successful restaurants from TikTok-based chefs that have gone out there and built that that loyalty and following, which I think to people who don't really understand the TikTok behavior, they're like, that's not really fair. You should go through the rank. But, you know, to this generation, they go, well, if I can create an audience and a following who likes what I do and I teach them how I cook on my way to there, like, that's a pretty... That's a pretty interesting channel to build new kinds of businesses and new kinds of cooking. And I think they're just the younger generation is just teaching us a little differently how things can come to come to fruition. So what you're saying, Libby, is that sort of like you could use TikTok, which, by the way, had the food talk trend last year had over 112 billion views. But you could basically sort of bypass potentially culinary school and and start your own restaurant just by the virtue of, of launching it on TikTok. Yeah. And and you have to think about what is a restaurant in general, right? Like a restaurant Mm. has a great chef, has great hospitality experience, but people are really buying into the chef and their persona and their personality. That's why all these people on Food Network have been able to, you know, create their own restaurants, et cetera. But the younger generation sees that and they're doing that through TikTok. And they're, they're like, if I have billions of people following me, understanding me, wanting to taste my food, that is proof of concept. So it's just like a different way of building and, and delivering that proof of concept that this could be a restaurant, this could be a food product, et cetera. And I think it's really fascinating to watch what's going to come out of TikTok that's going to create the next restaurant, the next food trend, the next thing people will really want to be a part of. So Libby, last question about this. I mean, mm-hmm. does, does, does this sort of then equate to a spike in grocery orders? Does that mean that everyone's going to run out and buy lemon pasta? Yeah, I guess according to Instacart, that wasn't exactly true. So even Hmm. with 13 million views of the butterboard, there are no increases for it. But, you know, the thing is, 
and, and nor were there lemon pasta. But the thing is, people are already buying butter. They're already buying lemon. So that could have been, you know, things on hand. The Biscoff tiramisu, though, with just 5 million views, Instacart actually found an increase of the ingredient orders by two times. So it'll be wow. interesting to see more like these seasonal or regional or, you know, more exotic type of based TikToks that they blow up to see how the people then order groceries to to make it happen. Com- completely interesting. Were there any, any final takeaways from the Instacart study? I thought this was really yeah. interesting. Instacart trends expert Lorenita Romit—sorry, I'm butchering her name. Romanuk. She said that she said a couple things in 2023. She expects the TikTok trends to align with more economic trends, so ingredient affordability and availability, simple and foolproof recipes. And then recipes and food trends that lean into seasonality and cultural moments. But I think the affordability, availability, and foolproof makes a lot of sense if there's an economic downturn because you don't want to be taking too much risk. You know, you want to make sure the food tastes good. So like the lemon-based pasta, you can watch that on TikTok. You can learn it in about a minute and a half and you can make it and it's probably going to be pretty good. (laughs) Oh, this has been fantastic. Libby, I, I have just absolutely loved doing this with you this year. Uh, this has been a lot of fun, and um, I think we'll leave it there. But uh, what a what a great year we we knocked out a bunch yeah. of polls on America this week, and I hope we hope to be back both Libby and I next year with with more great polls for 2023. But I think not to use a pun, but I think that's a wrap. So yeah, have a great a holiday season, everybody. Libby, go get your shopping done. Okay, you too, John. Thank you. Take Happy care, New Year, everybody. Everyone.